Now we're going to jump into the book of Colossians. And as we do, I'm going to start with a puzzle. Anybody here like puzzles? Yeah, we got a lot of puzzle likers. I'm a big fan of puzzles. Uh, This puzzles for many of us would be a little easier. It's big puzzle pieces, right? Um, However, if I were to give this to someone, I don't know, 25, 30 pieces, maybe not that many. I didn't count. Um, How would you go about solving this puzzle? First, first step. Corners and edge pieces. Good. We have normal people here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Some people don't start with that stuff. That's okay. We still love you. Jesus still loves you. You're just weird. Um, so you, most people would start with the edge pieces. And even mathematically, you know the edge is going to be on the outside. So you already eliminate this piece. It's got to have four connected. This one only has to have three. So you have a better odds of finding what's connected to edge pieces, right? Edges and corners, even greater odds, because there's only two that are going to connect. So you start with the framework, and then you fill in the middle. Now, once you get to the middle stuff, there's different opinions on how to go about that. Uh, Some people, like my wife and others, will will take all of the same color and try to put those together and then figure out where they fit, you know? Some people will start like at one corner of the puzzle because where you can already start to fit it and you work your way across the puzzle. And then there's what my family does. You just do whatever you want and you fit it all together as you're going. Some of you do color. Some start in a corner. Some take this piece because it's that person's color and I don't want you to be able to put them all in and I'm going to hold on to it till the end just to mess with you. (laughs) Anybody else done that? I like to mess with people in puzzles. I got that from my dad. Well, in my family, we like to put puzzles together. In this past, every New Year's, we do puzzles on New Year's Eve. And sometimes we like to see how many we can put together in one New Year's Eve, just staying up, keeping us awake, your mind alert into the late into night. We've done three or four 250-piece puzzles, 500-piece puzzles in one night. Well, this past New Year's, a neighbor of my parents came over. We were, we were visiting them at New Year's. The kids were asleep. And they had this idea that they were going to do a mystery puzzle. I don't know if you've heard of these. Never done one before. And we're going to do this mystery puzzle. And she said, oh, there's six of us. We'll be able to get it done. Okay, fine. First of all, didn't know this when she first brought it up. A thousand pieces. So a 1,000 piece mystery puzzle. And what I didn't know about mystery puzzles was they don't give you the picture of what it looks like. (laughs) Now you're following me. Like, this is 8 o'clock. we got four hours, and we're supposed to put a 1,000 pieces in, and we don't even know what the picture looks like. Um, It'd be similar, this puzzle right here. It has a lot less pieces, but if I ask you what it was a puzzle of, there's no picture with it. You'd have to figure it out. And maybe you could sift through a few of the pieces and figure out something. I could even give you a hint and tell you it's a superhero. But that leaves a lot of superheroes out there. And you don't know which one it is, and you'd have to start figuring it out before you could really know where everything's at. Having that big picture is helpful. Well, I want us to have this visual in mind, and I'm actually going to sit these puzzle pieces down for if anyone comes up here and prays, you have this visual in mind, is we're putting together a framework 
to better understand Colossians. The corner pieces, if you will, and the edge pieces will be more like who's writing, who they're writing to, when they're writing from, or where they're writing from. That gives us a better idea of the framework of what's happening in the book of Colossians. So today, you heard Miss Ethel read the first couple verses. Verse 1, it says, who's writing it? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy's with him. And so you've got these guys writing. They are writing from, or Paul is writing, from prison. Now, if you were in prison, or if I were in prison, I think our inclination would be more focus on our problems than who we're writing to. Paul doesn't do that. Don't we love that? I praise God that Paul really rarely talks about all the junk going on with him. If anything, he has this perspective of how beautiful it is and God's using him while in prison. So in the middle of his prison sentence, he writes this and he's writing it to the saints at Colossae or Colossae, depending on your preference of pronouncing it. So he's not writing it, first of all, to sinners. Did you catch that? He's writing it to saints. I think that's important. The word there is literally means holy ones. He's writing it to people who've already surrendered their lives to Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and trying to live this out by his power. Which means, as a side note, when Paul's writing these letters, we should not be imprinting these beliefs on non-Christians. We should not be expecting a non-Christian to live into this. It's not what the letters of Paul are for. They're for followers of Jesus. So they're saints. Now, at Colossae, the people of Colossae are in a region about 100 miles away from Ephesus, if you've heard of Ephesus in uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And it's filled with Jews, Greeks, and numerous others, but one of my favorite names is the Phrygians, just because it sounds like a refrigerator. Uh, So the Phrygians, the Greeks, the Jews, and others, there's a lot of people in this town. Because it's a major trade route. So if it's a major trade route, you know what happens? It's a lot of different languages spoken, people coming through from all around. Which, knowing God, He plans this well in advance. God knows what He's doing. Hey, there's going to be a church here. And it's going to be a church that ends up going to the far ends of the earth because there's a trade route there and people are coming through it from all over. Almost like an international airport. You're going to have people from all around, right? So that's who Paul's writing to. But that also means in that city, there's a lot of different beliefs because they have a lot of different types of people. So Paul, with that idea of there's a lot of different beliefs, he's going to hone in on over the course of the book, what are the main things? What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? And what is the stuff that doesn't matter as much? Let's not break fellowship over as much. So really, the book, you could frame it in the sense of Paul is writing to a people for them to understand what it means to really be a mature follower of Jesus, to be fully mature. And I love this image that Andy, uh, I think he put it together. Uh, He emailed me it. I don't know if he put it together. Uh, But the image, it's got this tree behind it because maturity requires time and patience. And there's going to be fruit from it. And I don't know if you caught it as we were reading this earlier, but in this passage, you have the imagery and language of fruit multiple times. 
Because God's in the business of bearing fruit, both in his church and in us as individuals. So now we know who is writing, and we know who he's writing to. Now let's look at the why. So we're going to move into verses 3 uh, three through 8 for a minute. That's where we're going to get to the fun whiteboard uh, that I like. And now I'm going to read in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Got to get my marker here in a minute. So first, he's thanking them. Their faith in Jesus is evidenced by what? The love you have for all the saints. I'm going to write love up here. Love for the saints. Can you imagine if we were a church that was known across this area or even the world? Man, that church loves their people well. Wouldn't people want to be a part of that? Man, that, that's a church that loves, because it's the saints in Colossae. They, the way you love each other is what Paul is saying. I, I haven't been here for eight months, and I have evidenced a lot of love in this place. I do think you love each other well. I can't speak a lot for your history, but I know since I've been here, you love each other well. What if outside of these walls, more and more people heard, man, they love each other well. I want to be a part of that. I don't even know what they believe, but they love each other well. That in and of itself could be a, a, an evangelism tool, if you will. That people are like, I want to be a part of them because of the way that whenever he was going through this death in his family, man, his church family was just there. I got to meet them because I was a neighbor because they were over checking on him because they love him well or love her well. So the love of the saints. Now, after verse three, we have... Uh, that was verse four. Uh, Since we've heard of the faith in Christ Jesus, of the love you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit. There's that word, that fruit imagery. And so before we get too much farther, that love for the saints comes from, you remember it said it right here, from the hope they have in the gospel. They can love each other well because of the hope they have of Jesus in the gospel. So this is wonderful writing. Not really. So the gospel then, it specifically says these words. Did you know it? Um, The gospel has come to you indeed in the whole world because it is bearing fruit. Okay, fruit. Now we're going to pause for a minute. And this is why any, there was a technique in Greek writing at times where you want to subtly make points in the text that people were aware of. What is going to be your point without directly saying, this is my point? You know, any English teachers in here, you know, maybe at a young age, you appreciate someone saying directly, this is what I'm writing about. This is my point, etc. But as they get older, to creatively help people grasp that without directly saying it. There's a beauty to that. So this technique, one of the ways was called a chiasm. Can you say chiasm? Anybody ever heard of a chiasm? Well, chasm, not the same thing. Uh, Now, a chi in the Greek alphabet is an X. It's the way where Christos, the name Jesus Christ. So Christos, if you ever see on the old 
crosses. We don't have one here, but they'd have the X with the little, what looks kind of like a shepherd's hook. That X in the middle stood for Christ, if you didn't know that. It's the first letter of his name, Christ. Well, an X, chiasm, starts with an X, and it's because the X forms, if you draw out what they're saying, it points to something right in the middle. Is that making sense? So, so first we see the love of the saints because of the gospel, which is bearing fruit. And then this is where it gets fun. I get nerdy on this kind of stuff. So sorry, not sorry. <laughs> right after this, uh, uh, bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard the gospel and understood the grace of God and truth as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant the faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So now, where did they hear the fruit from? Or the fruit that they're bearing, they heard about it from Epaphras. They heard about the gospel. So it's coming back and referencing the gospel that it talked about earlier. And then, right after that, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You see love again? So in a subtle way, this prayer and this thanksgiving, Paul is giving thanks for the fruit that has been born, but he's also pointing to the love you have amongst one another and the love by the power of the Spirit. That's all part of the fruit of the gospel that we want to see lived out, that he's going to really be talking about the rest of the book. What it is to become fully mature is to bear fruit. You don't have a mature apple tree if it's not bearing fruit. Correct? I mean, I'm not a genius when it comes to orchards. Y'all have a lot more here than in Texas. You have more trees than we have in Texas. You have more bushes than we have. We just have green. But So you're more versed in this, but I'm pretty sure unless a tree is bearing fruit, it, it's not really, there's something wrong. It's not mature. So that's what's happening here is the love should be the evidence of the fruit. The love of the saints, love in the spirit, not even in your own power. I'm sorry to tell you, Judy, but you and I can't love well in our own power. You can love Bob better when the spirit is filling you than you can without the spirit. A mentor of mine used to actually say, you know, if I love God more than my spouse, he gives me the capacity to love my spouse more than I could in my own power. Get your brain spinning. So because I love God more, I can actually love my wife with a greater ability than I could if I tried to put her first. That's that love. That's what it is to be mature and bear fruit. It's not just the love of your friendships and your relationships. It's by the power of the Spirit. That love is just flowing out of you. So that's the big picture. If we're going with our puzzle theme, we now have the corner pieces being Paul, Colossae, who's it? Timothy, and now the framework is bearing fruit through love. Then we get into verses 9 and 10. But before we do 9 and 10, uh, let's play a little game. Anybody up for a game? Okay, I like games. Okay, if you're not up for it, you don't have to play, but you're still on the team. This half of the room is a team. And this half of the room is a team. I had to make sure the pastors are split up here. Uh, don't, don't, want, don't want them cheating on me here. And whoever has the most points wins, okay? 
Okay, go. Oh, you lost. Y'all's team lost. Oh, oh, now you lost too. The only rules were that you couldn't raise your hand, and you both raised your hand. You could have got points any other way. Wow. Now that you know that rule, do you want to try again? (laughs) Isn't it helpful to understand how to win a game before you actually play the game? Kind of silly. I've done that kind of game with my kids before. I'll tell them we're going to play a game, and then I say, okay, we're playing. And how do you play? I was like, oh, you lost. We were playing the quiet game. Well, this is what Paul does in verses 9 and 10 in a really unique way. It's a very long run-on sentence, particularly in the Greek. But it's pointing to the how we actually bear the fruit. That's what verses 9 and 10 are going to give us a little more of the how, big picture. So I want to read these and then we're going to unpack them a little bit together if you'll allow me to. And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding by the Spirit, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I'm going to stop right there for now. That's all one long sentence. If you had to sum up trying to use at least some of these words. What is the main purpose, the why here that fits with up here? Remember, he's already framed it. Really, he's telling, what is he praying for in these two verses at the root of it? Growth. Fruit and growth. Who said that? I don't know who said that, but bravo. Growth, growth and fruit. That's at the very end of verse 10. It's actually the end of what we read. That you're bearing fruit, so fruit, and growing in the Lord, plus growing. That's really his main thing. Those two things. Why did he say both of those? Just a side note. Why do you think he said bearing fruit and growing in the Lord? Because you can't bear fruit without growing in the Lord. Is it possible to grow in the Lord and not bear fruit? Interesting question. If you're growing in the Lord, you're bearing fruit. You never stop growing. That's the hope. (laughs) I would actually suggest to you, one of the reasons I think he's intentional to say both instead of just growing in the Lord is he's wanting to highlight growing in the Lord should necessitate bearing fruit. If you're bearing fruit, don't just focus on the fruit. You also need to be growing in the Lord. He could have just said one, but he says both. And I think one of the reasons is because you need them both. Whether you think you can bear fruit without growing in the Lord, then you have to question the kind of fruit you're bearing. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about good fruit and bad fruit. So if you're growing in the Lord, it would be good fruit. If you're not, then you're still bearing fruit, but the fruit becomes questionable. It's not a tree I would want to eat an apple from. Let's just say that. Be one of those, you may like red delicious apples. Not a big fan myself. Maybe it's one of those. You just, hmm, yeah, not not so great. (laughs) 
these vital signs that we've talked about as a church for a few weeks, they actually frame this in a unique way. I noticed that when I was studying. Because the first two vital signs, pursuing God and engaging Scripture, they're really to make sure we're growing in the Lord. How have I been communicating with God throughout the day? That's one of the questions. How has God been communicating with me? That's How, how am I growing? That's the root of those. How's the Holy Spirit shaped my heart as I've spent time in the Word, the Word of God, the Bible? This, this is growing in the Lord stuff. But then the last two, serve others and radiate Jesus. How have I served God with my natural and spiritual gifts in my sphere? Okay, now we're talking about practical fruit. How am I radiating Jesus? Where did I proclaim or demonstrate the life-changing news of Jesus Christ? That's fruit. So really, these vital signs that the board and everyone came up with months ago and we're putting out and just as to resource and questions to help you check where am I, they help us understand at the beginning of Colossians, just like the people in Colossae, am I bearing fruit and am I growing in the Lord? Because that's the root prayer. Now Paul, from here, that's why he's writing that they're bearing fruit. And he starts it in a weird way by talking about, okay, you need to be bearing fruit and growing. But we work backwards in verse 10 to 9 to see how we go about the bearing fruit. So the end of verse 10 says, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. The previous verse, he says, everything in verse 9 is, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit. So now, how do we go about bearing fruit and growing? Well, we walk. I got a new word for you. Are you ready to learn a new word? You've already learned one today. You get two today. Peripateo. <laughs> Peripateo. That means to walk. It's the word to walk. It's the word used here. It's a lot easier to actually do it than to say it. <laughs> but this idea to walk, to walk in a manner worthy well, to walk like Jesus, you know the best way to find out if you're walking like Jesus? Walking with Him. Any band people in here? Ever in band? Marching band? you got to stay, stay in step with each other. And I, my wife was in marching band. And so one of the funny things as we've gotten to know each other over the years, and when we dated, we'd walk, and naturally her steps would line up with mine. It would just happen. We wouldn't talk about it. We wouldn't practice walking together. When you spend time together, your steps start to line up. It just happens. And so I love the imagery that's used. It's, it's used all throughout the Bible. It's used with Moses, Abraham, Noah, David, Joshua. The language of walking with God is used with all those guys in the Old Testament. Obviously with Jesus and his disciples. But even here, walk. So how do we go about bearing fruit? Well, we walk with the Lord and we walk in a manner which the only way we can walk in a manner that's worthy of him is knowing how he walks so spend time with him and walking involves a relationship I cannot be on the other side of the street and be considered walking with you I could be walking in the same vicinity as you but I'm not walking with you if I'm on this side of the road and you're on that one and we're not actually closer talking Likewise, you can't be 100 yards ahead of me and me back here and we're walking with each other. Now I'm stalking you. <laughs> walking, not stalking. That's what we're going for today. Walking with Jesus. 
from the walking imagery, you notice at the beginning of the walking language, in verse 10, it says, so as to walk. So you're like, wait, what was the previous verse then? It was helping us walk. So they're praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, wisdom, and understanding. So now, huh, we're getting somewhere. How do I go about this, Jesus? Well, we got to have his will, knowledge, and understanding. I'm not going to be able to write all this. Under dot, dot, dot. There you go. <laughs> nope. that answer your question? How do I walk in a manner and bear fruit? Well, I have to know his will, knowledge, and understanding. Cool. Done. Is that everything? One more arrow. Good catch. Doc. In that verse, I don't know how your translation puts it. Uh, at the very end of that verse, the last phrase in the Greek is by the Spirit. That's the very last thing in that sentence of verse 9. So it literally says, be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and understanding by the Spirit. Now some translations say His spiritual wisdom and understanding, but literally the very end is where the Spirit's put. Because all of this is important, but the way you get it is from the Spirit. If you have Scripture... You can know some things about God, but if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this, He's going to give you greater depths of His will and understanding that you can ever have in your own power or your own mind. Think about this. The Israelites had the whole Old Testament for a long time. Long time. It was what was taught. They read it. They knew it better than we do, truthfully. They had to memorize the stuff. But they didn't have the Holy Spirit and they were walking blind. Now we can see things in the Old Testament and be given greater revelation of God's will and his knowledge and his understanding because we have the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that exciting? I get, I get excited about that. Because now I don't have to rely on my own understanding, which is really good for me and for you. So we have this beautiful picture. How do we go about this? Paul says, well, the Spirit. That's the end thing. The Holy Spirit. You spend more time with the Spirit. He'll let you know His will, knowledge, and understanding. You'll begin to walk more like Jesus in everyday life. And the fruit and growing will just come naturally. Not because you're forcing it or trying harder. It's just going to come naturally. Or supernaturally. As you could say, beyond your power. Do you want to know the best way to learn what it is to walk deeply with the Holy Spirit? Anybody have any suggestions? Prayer. Prayer. Read the Bible. These are good things, by the way. Consistency. Sacrifice. Question for you. How did Jesus go about showing people what it looked like to be led by the Spirit? Example. 
He spent three years with his disciples. You look in the Gospel of John and there's even one part in the the raising of Lazarus where he prays aloud and he specifically says to them, you know, Father, I think you've heard me. This is in chapter 11 of John. Uh, You always hear me, but I say this on the count of the others standing around. He prays aloud because he wants them to see that he's interacting with the living God. He wants them to watch him interact with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. That's why he spends three years, at least one of the main reasons, with his disciples. Because guess what? Living by the Spirit is something on a big picture level, that I'm going to steal this phrase from my wife, that is not really taught, but it's caught. You can teach people about the Holy Spirit and his power and how you interact with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, yearly basis. But when they see it and walk alongside you or just interact with you regularly and see you living by the Spirit, then you start to get more practically understanding, oh, it didn't have to be that hard. I didn't make the connection until just now. Maybe that's why Jesus had me take my shoes off. So, you know, it's, it's not always that hard. Sometimes it's just, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? I just want to be in tune with your heart and will and understanding. And if you are in tune with that on a daily basis, all of a sudden you're going to be at work and you're just going to be praying while you're doing some work and you're just open to God speaking to you. And he may say, you know what? Your coworker needs prayer for something going on in their marriage. I don't want to tell you what it is, but go offer to pray for him. And you're like, okay. Uh, Phil, uh, I just kind of, I know this sounds weird, but if you're open for it, I'd love to just pray for you. I just feel like there's some stuff going on in your marriage that God wants you to know he, he cares about you. And if God's the one initiating that, now all of a sudden, that could be a gospel conversation, a healing prayer time. You may end up sitting with Phil while he's in tears. And that's okay. But it didn't come because you practiced and figured out exactly how to present the gospel to a coworker. That's not bad either, by the way. We need to be sharing the gospel. But if we're letting the Spirit guide us with His will and knowledge and understanding beyond ours, every moment of every day, the interaction with the world, we're going to look more like Jesus, and then we're going to start to bear fruit in everyday life as individuals and as a community. That's, what, that's really what the book of Colossians is about. Paul writing to his people saying, I, I want to see your church and you as individuals be fully mature and just bearing fruit. And guess what? If your apples are falling off your tree and they're going to these Jews and Greeks and Phrygians, fun word, and they're, they're going and they're bearing seeds. Now when they go to their towns, they're going to start bearing fruit. Now you start to develop, I don't know, an orchard. That's worth it. That's beautiful. But we can't end there because we also read verse 11. And what does verse 11 say? May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You know, if he had just ended in verse 10, I think I'd have been a little more happy. Because in verse 11, what does he say? You need to be strengthened with his power and his glorious might. For what? Endurance and patience? 
I don't like those things. That implies that there's a reason I need to endure and a reason I need to be patient. Anybody here love to be patient? Hmm. I think he includes that at the end of his prayer in Thanksgiving. This is my opinion. Some commentaries agree with this, actually, a fair amount. That one of the reasons he's putting that is because everything he said before, the bearing fruit and the growing and living by the Spirit, it doesn't just happen overnight and it's not always easy. There's going to be times where you're going, man, life stinks right now. Life is tough right now. And that's where you can remember Paul prayed for the church at Colossae and he prays for you and I. Guess what? He prays this, that you would be strengthened by his power and his glorious might, that you would endure and be patient with joy. That you could even have joy in the face of all the junk as you're seeking to live by the Spirit and bear fruit. That's a verse that I don't love that he included, but in a weird way, I do love that he included it. Yes, it implies I'm going to need to endure and it's not always going to be easy to live by the Spirit, but it also says, guess what? He can give us the power and strength to endure. That same Spirit, that's what it says, His glorious might, according to His glorious might, not your might or your strength. So we finish out these verses 1 to 11, understanding Paul is writing to a people who are all over the map when it comes to where they're from in one region. And he wants them to bear fruit that's already happening around the world. He's saying, this is happening. But more specifically, I want to see you bear fruit and grow ultimately by the Spirit giving you his knowledge, understanding, and his will. I heard a quote, I don't know, a while back, and this is my paraphrase of it, that was very powerful to me. And it said this, we often think about the church or Sunday mornings or even church camp and other times that, man, we had a God high today. I was on the mountaintop. You ever used that phrase before, maybe, when it comes to church or your relationship with God? Well, this quote, and this is not a direct quote, but it's, And I wish I could remember where I heard it. But I'm giving someone credit. That wasn't me. Nobody lives on top of the mountain. It's fine to be there occasionally. Maybe for inspiration, new perspectives, or even great awe and experience. But everyday life is lived further down. Rarely do you find someone living on a mountaintop. Further down is where farms and gardens and orchards, that's where those are. And where the actual work and the plowing and the growth takes place. This is where you actually apply the visions and the revelations that you may have glimpsed on the mountaintop. That's what it is to bear fruit. It's not to just stay up here where if you're really on the mountaintop, you can't, there's not a lot of people who can be there mountaintops are well there's only so many people who can fit but when you come down that's where you can actually plant a garden bear fruit and and this is what i'd like to end with today is this paragraph the lord just kind of gave me these words and i said i i can't remember all that jesus 
Um, he said, okay, just read it. So I want to read this to you. Would you just close your eyes and picture this? If everyone were bearing kingdom fruit, think about what this would mean. We would be trees close enough to protect each other, but far enough to flourish. We would be rooted in proximity to one another, so much so that the soil stays rich, but we don't steal nutrients from one another. And the beauty of such closeness is this keeps us unwanted plants of the enemy from growing between us. In such an orchard, we would find trees that many could rest in, find shade in, and receive sustenance from. This is what Paul wants from Colossae, and this is what Jesus wants from us. The questions for us to reflect on are, where are you in this picture? Where are we in this picture? And how does God want to get us to this picture of a life-giving, bearing fruit orchard? Jesus, this is our prayer that you would reveal to us where we are. How Paul is writing to us in some beautiful way years later. That we take the truths that he's speaking to your people in Colossae 1900 plus years ago. And you would make them Give us deep revelations for us today as individuals, as your church, not my church, not Andy's church, not the board's church, not anyone here who's been here for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Your church, Jesus, and your orchard. Because we know you want us all to become fully mature Would you make us aware of how you want to speak to us? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Not in the name of anyone else or anything else, but the name that brings freedom to the captives. The names that heals people today. That In the name by which we are given knowledge beyond our understanding to speak and share to the world the beauty of your life-transforming power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.